now we learn. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. So welcome to our service this morning. Um, my name is Pastor Leo. If you're watching live this morning, um, you don't want to miss this. Please take notes. There is a lot of information that I'm going to share with you this morning. Um, there is revelation that I'm going to share with you this morning that God gave me as I was studying this chapter. And <clears throat> this is a type of chapter, uh, like I was mentioning this morning in prayer, this is a type of chapter that truly should wake up a hunger within you. Uh, this is a type of chapter that should question all those things that maybe you have been taught for such a long time and drive you to search and seek within the Word of God answers to what you've been taught and answers to what we're going to learn this morning. Amen? Amen. But again, if you're watching live this morning, uh, I want to encourage you to watch to the end. Watch to the end. But I also want to encourage you to um, listen to our podcast. We have our podcast up and running. I share it every single week because I'm excited for it. Um, last week, we have people from Australia watching. Um, so we, we're reaching the four corners. Amen. Uh, this little small church here in Hialeah is reaching the four corners of the earth. And again, that's what we're, we're taught to do is to reach the four corners of the earth. As we, as we learned last week, that representation of, of Moses, Aaron, and Moses' nephews, if you guys remember, it was God giving the gospel to Moses, and then Moses sharing with Aaron and his nephews, which represented the four corners of the earth. So we are doing such, man. That's big news. Yeah. Uh, we are reaching Australia. Uh, we reached Germany um, recently as well. And uh, again, as, as well as the U.S., but um, our podcast can be found on Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker. Um, please share that on your social media. Um, and you can find us under In One Spirit Miami. So whatever platform you use, whether it's Apple, whether it's Google, Spotify, which, which are the three major ones. Um, there's also Anchor, Radio Public, and Breaker. These are smaller platforms, but you can still use them as well. You can find us in all of these platforms uh, for to listen to whatever, you know, as you go about your day. You know, sometimes we don't have the luxury of sitting down and watching a video, uh, but we could put, you know, uh, something in our, in our ears and, and listen to it. And uh, we can do it that way. So this is a great avenue that God has given us. Amen. And again, you can find us in One Spirit Miami. Also, if you're watching live and you're maybe watching this now or maybe you're watching it later and you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry, please go to onespiritchurch.com and you can partner with us there and you can support this ministry so we can continue to share what God has given us this morning. Amen. Um, as you're going to see, it's, it's, it's an amazing what God, what God shows in his word. It's, it's truly amazing. I mean, I'm so excited to share this. I can't contain myself up here. Like I said last week, I want you want to run with it? I want to run out that door this morning. <laughs> but I got to share it with you guys first before I leave. Um, so praise God. Um, I want to recap a little bit last week on, um, on where we ended. And um, if you guys remember, Moses was at the Mount Sinai. And in Mount Sinai, there was three stages. There was the bottom where the multitude was. There was the middle section where Moses and Aaron and, and the 70 elders were. Um, and then there was the mountain top. And if you remember, 
chapter 24 ended with Moses going into this cloud, and the cloud represented the presence of God. And what happened? The Bible says that he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. And so this chapter that we're about to go into, it's basically God speaking to Moses in his presence. This is all taking place in the presence of God where Moses is, where we left off last week. Remember, the Bible technically really doesn't have chapters. It was just broken this way for us to be able to understand. It's just one long love story. That's really what it is. And so this is what's taking place this morning. It's actually the continuation of chapter 24. And what did I say last week? When Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights, which was symbolic, if you guys remember, that's happened before in the Bible and even after in the Bible, 40 days and 40 nights happens, and then what happens right after that? An assignment is given. But we're going to see this morning that assignment, and it's a very, very important assignment that God gives Moses. But he gives this assignment first without even showing Moses the blueprint. And what does Moses do? He runs with it. He runs with it. That is the type of faith, guys, that we got to have. That when God speaks and tells us to do something, we run with it. We don't, sit, we, we don't sit down to question God. Why do you want me to do it this way? Do you think it's going to turn out right? Do you actually think that God is going to tell you to do something that's bad for you? Think about that. Do you actually think that God is going to tell you to run in a direction where it's not beneficial for you? He will never do that. Why? Because he wants nothing but the best for you. Now, in the midst of your journeys, you might experience some heartaches. You might experience some turmoil. Absolutely. The Bible says that you will experience those things. As a matter of fact, it's not going to be all peachy and flowers. But even in the midst of those travels, and I'll repeat it again later on today, we can rest assured, and I said it this morning, that God is with us. Amen. When Moses was in the mountain. Who was with Moses that just suddenly popped up in chapter 24? Joshua. Joshua. If you guys remember, we, read, we must have read about 20 verses. Joshua wasn't even mentioned. Now all of a sudden when Moses is at the middle of the mountain, about to take that step of faith to go to the top of the mountain, Joshua appears. Was it out of nowhere? <laughs> what does Joshua represent that I told you guys last week? Yeshua. The name Joshua in Hebrew is Jehoshua, which means salvation. Amen. Moses was never alone. When he was at the base, when he was at the midst, and when he was at the mountaintop, he was never alone. The presence of God was with them every step of the way. To give him comfort. To allow him to understand that he was not alone. That even though maybe some people at the base of the mountain might thought he was crazy going into this massive cloud at the top of the mountain where fire and thunder and lightning was happening because everybody was freaking out down there. Moses was sure that he was in God's hands. We need to have that faith. Yes. We need to have that mentality that it doesn't matter the cloud. It doesn't matter the fire. It doesn't matter what we may be going through. We are in the hands of God. Amen. Amen. So again, Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And what happens now in chapter 25? Moses is given an assignment. 
and what an assignment it is. But again, if you guys have been blessed by the last two chapters, please strap on your seatbelt. You're going for a ride this morning. <laughs> take notes. I do encourage you to take notes. Let's go to Exodus 25. We're going to read just the first two verses, and I'm going to show you something, how powerful it is. When you take the time to meditate on God's word. Amen. Exodus 25, we'll read verse 1 and 2. Amen? Amen. It says, Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Tell B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, take up an offering for me. From anyone whose heart compels them, you are to take my offering. Stop there for a second. Here's Moses at the top of the mountain. Moses is in the presence of God. He's been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And then God says, okay, Moses, time for you to go back. And I need, excuse me, I need you to go back and take up an offering for me from the children of Israel. So now guess what? Moses has to go from the top of the mountain, not stop halfway, continue all the way to the bottom. And even all the way to the bottom, then go to the multitude, which has been looking at this cloud on the top with fire and lightning and thunder. And it's, they're panicking and Moses has to come down and say, God has sent me, God has given me this assignment to come down here and guess what? And take up an offering from you guys. But notice what scripture says. I need us to pay attention and notice what scripture says. He says, from anyone whose heart compels. From anyone whose heart compels. What does that mean? Anyone that wants to freely give. There is no judgment. There is, there is no specific amount. There's nothing. God simply tells Moses, go down there and anyone that follows me, anyone that believes in me, take up an offering from them. Take up an offering from them. Anyone that is compelled to give, give without actually wanting to receive anything in return. Why? Because that is what the Bible teaches. And the Bible tells, tells us that he loves a what? A cheerful giver. Now, if you notice, we, for some time now, and actually these two verses are actually very pivotal in this, but we, from some time now, have stopped going around, passing any bucket or anything like that. What do we do from here? We always tell you guys, whatever God places in your heart, you go ahead and give to God. Why? Because we understand that it's between you and God. Not between you and me, not between you and my wife, not between any of us. When we give unto God, it's between us and God. What we give to God, He knows our heart. He knows our income. He knows what we can give and what we cannot give. Never giving reluctantly, never giving because we're judged or, or we're pushed to give a certain amount. We never do that from here. And these two verses are so pivotal in that. Because it teaches us what? To give as our heart is compelled to give. In other words, how grateful are you are for God? That is how you give unto God. Whatever God has done in your life, then that's how you give unto Him. As grateful as you are. And if you notice, it is Him that always gives first. And it is Him that gave something that we can never outgive. And we can find that in John 3.16. And we should know this first by heart. For God so loved the world that He what? He gave. Gave is a key word there. 
he gave his only begotten son. What a gift that is. I mean, just off those two verses, we can go ahead and get up and take an offering on that. And I mean, if that doesn't speak to you, then I don't know what will. But I got a lot more scripture to go into. We'll do that later on. But John 3.16 says that he gave his only begotten son. There is nothing that we can give to God that we will ever outgive God. Never, ever, no matter how much you try. There's no money that compares to that gift anyways. That is a gift of life. That is a gift of salvation. And I believe, I don't know about you, but salvation is priceless. Amen. So again, we see God gave first and he tells Moses, go down there to the children of Israel and ask for an offering. God didn't tell Moses, I need you to ask for an offering for this. Notice that. He just said, go down there and see who's willing to give unto me. They might be freaking out down there, but go down there and see who's willing to give to me. I'm sure Moses said, but what are we collecting an offering for? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he just said, okay, you said I'm running with it. But God doesn't give him a blueprint. He just says, go. And Moses goes. Let's continue to read. Verse 3. It says, these are the contributions which you are to receive from them. Please don't miss this. Because we're going to go over all of these individually. These are the contributions you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet. These are not just colors. These are representation of things. Yes. Okay? It's not, nobody's giving blue. Nobody's giving purple. <laughs> these are representation of things that are blue and purple. And they have a, a meaning. They have a significance. And we'll, we'll go over that in a minute. Blue, purple, and scarlet cloth. Fine linens, goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, sealskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. The ephod is, a, um, is, a, is kind of like a cutoff shirt that the high priest would wear under the breastplate. Very significant. Very significant. And that stone onyx is also very significant. So again, we see there that it finishes in verse 7. It says, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. Now, I want to go over each of these items because there are 14 specific items that God asked Moses to collect from the people of Israel. And why these 14 items? I need us to kind of recollect what God just finished doing for Israel. I need us to remind ourselves where God just finished taking Israel out of. He took them out of Egypt, passed them through the wilderness. They're in the midst of the wilderness. God provided food. God provided water. And now they're about to build something that is so significant out in the middle of nowhere. This will be the dwelling place of God here on earth. Before they were to enter the promised land, or so they thought. But unfortunately, because of their unbelief and their complaining and their moaning and everything else they did, they did not enter, as we know. But that's further ahead. But God asked 14 specific items here in chapter 25. The first one was gold. What does gold represent? It represents wealth. 
And again, this is not just the only significance I'm going to go through. There's a lot, obviously, more significance to this. These are the ones that, as I was studying, God gave me. And it all makes sense as I go through them. Again, think where God took the Israelites from. And actually associate your life as well with these items. Think about where God has taken you out of, of and placed you until now. And think about the representation of these items in your life. The, again, the first one, gold, represents wealth. The second one, silver, represents stability. The third one, bronze, represents our human nature. Blue represents wholeness. Purple represents royalty. Scarlet represents blood or fire. As I'm going through this, guys, just kind of in your mind, think about what these things mean in the life of the Israelites or what they should mean in the life of the Israelites and what they should mean in your life. Again, scarlet, blood and fire. Linen, purity. Goat hair represents deception. Ramskin, external truth. Seal skin, which is also known as badger skin, represents external goods. And acacia wood represents perseverance or integrity. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. Spices represents anointing. And onyx represents spiritual truth. Onyx is also the second stone on the fourth row of the high priest's breastplate. So this is not just a stone that represents spiritual truth, but it represents spiritual truth to the one that was only allowed to go into the holies of holies. So notice how important this stone is and who it was placed on. To the one man that was trusted to go into the holies of holies, to give account, to give sacrifice, for everyone during that time. God says, I'm going to place this stone in your breastplate because I understand that this stone represents spiritual truth. And you're the only one possibly, possibly, because if you study, it got to a time that they would tie a little rope around the ankle of the high priest just in case he wasn't worthy enough to go before the Lord and God would strike him and kill him at that moment, they'll be able to drag him out. Why? Because the next high priest that would go the next year to go inside was not allowed to touch the dead person. As a matter of fact, the high priest was not allowed to touch any dead person. Not even his own family. So they would tie this little rope around the ankle. And so whenever, if God were to strike him because he was not worthy to be in the presence of God, they'll be able to pull him out. But also it was the same stone that would be placed in the breastplate of this high priest. So again, I'm going to go through them one more time. Gold means wealth, silver stability, bronze human nature, blue wholeness, purple royalty, scarlet blood or fire, linen purity, goat hair deception, ram skin external truth, seal skin, which is also known as badger skin, external goods, acacia wood, perseverance or integrity, oil, the Holy Spirit, spices, anointing, and onyx, spiritual truth. Now it's funny that God asked for 14 specific items. These items are not only specific, but the number of items that God asked for are also specific. Remember, everything in the Bible has a significance. And I always tell you guys, names, numbers, seasons, 
months. All these things have a significance why God did it at that specific time. And so God says, I want these 14 items. This is what these 14 items represent. And the number 14, guess what? Means salvation and deliverance. The number 14 means salvation. What did God just finish doing with the Israelites? He delivered them out of the land of Egypt. And in the midst of the wilderness, what is God doing? He's giving and offering salvation to them and to, for them to be able to dwell in the presence of God with the tabernacle that's about to be built. So the 14 items that God asked for are the significance of the very thing that he just finished doing in the life of the Israelites and what he's about to do in the midst of the wilderness. Now, if you don't think that's significance, I don't know what will. God is so precise when he does things. He's so accurate when he asks for things. Sometimes we don't understand why is God asking for this. He knows why he's asking for that. Again, our minds are limited and so we can never comprehend what God asked for or why he's asking you to do things. But look how precise he's with Moses here. When he tells, these are the items that I need you to ask from the children of Israel. And these is what these items mean. And why these 14 items mean what they mean. It's because of my nature. It's because of what I just did with them. I delivered them and I'm offering salvation to them in the midst of the wilderness. Amen? Amen. Now, before we continue into the rest of the chapter, I want, you, I want to paint a picture for you guys. Because we're about to enter the tabernacle, or a description of the tabernacle. Again, this is God's dwelling place here on earth. The tabernacle was placed, listen to this, the tabernacle was placed in the middle of the camp. Okay? And it was surrounded by the Levites first, then by the 12 tribes of Israel. Please do not miss this. The tabernacle that was about to be built was placed in the middle of the camp. And surrounded the tabernacle first, closest were the Levites, the priests. Then... Outside of the Levites were the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, these 12 tribes were placed in a precise position. They were not just placed there because God said to be placed there. They didn't choose the place that they abide in. It's God told them, you will be here, you will be here, you will be there for a specific reason. Now, the holy place of the tabernacle would always face East. The tabernacle will be placed in the middle, and the holy place of the tabernacle would always face east, which is that way for us. And always for a specific reason. And I'm going to give you two. Number one, where does the sun rise from? The sun rises from the east, sets in the west. What does the sun do? It gives light. From the second it rises, it gives light throughout the whole entire day, and it covers you until it sets. Look what scripture says in Psalm 
Psalm 113.3. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the name of Adonai is to be praised. So we see that the tabernacle is facing east, or the holy place of the tabernacle is facing east. Why? Because God wanted them from sunrise to sunset for them to be praising God all day long. Why? Because God will be the one that will cover them all day long. Long. Remember, when they came out of Egypt, that they were in the wilderness. What does the Bible say? That God was a what? A cloud by day, covering, shelter, and a pillar of fire by night, shelter and light. But from sunrise to sunset, God was covering his people. I need you to understand that from sunrise to sunset, God is covering you. Now, something else that's interesting, if you've ever been to a, a, a Jewish home or you know about this or you studied it, the mezuzah, if you guys know what a mezuzah is, it's the little scroll that the Jews hang on the, on the door. Where is that located? On the right of the door. Always, whenever there's a double door entrance to a, a Jewish home, that mezuzah, that little scroll is always placed at the right part of the doorpost. So we see that the tabernacle will be facing east. The holy place of the tabernacle will be facing east. And we see this mezuzah that the Jews place it at the right of the doorpost in their homes, in their entrance. So we see east and right. Now remember earlier what I said. These tribes are placed in specific locations. Now what is this mezuzah? What does it have inside? Why do the Jews put it there? Because there are instructions and promises that whenever they come in or wherever they go out, they remind themselves and they touch it and they kiss it out of gratefulness. And so what do these come from? Go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 20 to 23. Deuteronomy 11, 20 to 23. So again, we see east. We see to the right. Deuteronomy 11, 20 says, you are to write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied on the land of Adonai swore to give to your fathers, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will diligently keep all these mitzvahs that I have commanded you to do, to love Adonai your God and to walk in all his, way, to walk in all his ways and cling to him, then Adonai will drive out these nations from before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. This is a promise from God, and this is a reminder every single day whenever they go into their homes and out of their homes of a promise from God. So we see the holies of holies is placed into the east, and we see these mezuzahs placed at the right of the doorposts of their house whenever they enter, whenever they enter and go out. And we see that is biblical says to write them on the doorpost of your house. But there is a specific location on the doorpost. Why? Because of the locations of these tribes. The first two, right and east. What tribes were located here? Well, none other than the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Issachar, 
and the tribe of Sebulun. Now within these 12 tribes, there was one dominant tribe in all of them. And to the right of the holies of holies of the tabernacles and to the east of the holies of holies of the tabernacle was none other than the tribe of Judah, meaning was the dominant of the first three tribes. Where did our Savior, our Messiah come from? The tribe of Judah. He's also known as the Lion of Judah. Judah. Where is the tabernacle pointing? East. East, which is the what? The holiest of holies. Where is Yeshua sitting? At the right hand of the Father. So if you're righty, praise God. If you're lefty, sorry. Just kidding. Just kidding. That was a bad joke. <laughs> so we see the importance of right. We see the importance of east, where the tabernacle, the holies of holies will be pointing. And we see why Judah was there and where the Messiah came from. Now to the left or to the west were the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. With Ephraim being the dominant tribe. So we got east, we have Judah. West, we have Ephraim. To the top, to the north, we have the tribes of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Dan being the dominant tribe. And to the bottom, to the south, we have the tribes of Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Reuben being the dominant tribe. So to the east, we have what? Judah. To the west, we have Ephraim. To the top, we have Dan. To the north and to the south, we have Reuben. Now, it's interesting that these tribes were chosen to be the dominant tribes of all these 12 tribes. In other words, in each other section that they were located. Because these tribes, not only were the dominant tribes, but each of these tribes had a symbol. Please don't miss this. Again, to the east was Judah. Judah, the symbol of Judah was what? A lion, the lion of Judah. To the west, we have Ephraim. The symbol of Ephraim was an ox. To the north, we have Dan. The symbol of Dan was a flying eagle. Could also be related as a flying serpent, but then later on was mostly known as a flying eagle. And last but not least was Reuben. Reuben, his sign or his symbol represented a human being. So we see Judah as the lion, we see Ephraim as the ox, we see Dan as the flying eagle, and we see Reuben as a human being. Why do I tell you all this and why is it important and who cares what symbol these tribes had? Because it's very, very biblical. These symbols represented something. As a matter of fact, these symbols are spoken about in the Bible and they're spoken about in none other than the end of the Bible. So I'm going to show you this morning how the end of the Bible it's tied into the beginning of the Bible. 
and how end time prophecy and what surrounds the throne of God is these 12 tribes of Israel. Go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 4. And again, if this does not spark hunger, if this does not spark something in you that you've been taught wrong, or you that you're watching live this, or maybe watching it later, if this doesn't question your belief and what you've been taught, I don't know what will. Because I'm about to prove to you in scripture how this is tied into the back. Again, Judah, lion, Ephraim, ox, Dan, a flying eagle, and Reuben, a human being. Go to book of Revelation, chapter 4. Revelation, chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's only about 10 verses. Don't, don't, don't go crazy now. <laughs> Revelation, chapter 4, verse 1, says, After these things I looked. This is John speaking, by the way. God, John is taken up to the heavens, and God gives him a revelation. And look what John writes. After these things I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking with me, with, with me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Ruach, I was in the spirit. Immediately John was transferred. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one seated on the throne, and the one who was seated was like a jasper and carnelian in appearance, and a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Do you guys remember last week's chapter when they said that the elders saw God? And I told you that no man has seen God because otherwise it will contradict scripture. God showed a vision to the elders. God showed a vision to Moses. This is a very similar vision that John has seen here in the book of Revelation. And, see, and John says, wow, he, the one seated on the throne looked like Jasper. He was glowing. Remember last week, what did it say? He looked like sapphire, that he glowed. Very similar. And it says, and the one seated was like a Jasper and carnelian in appearance, and a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, dressed in white clothes and golden crowns on their heads. And out of the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and clashes of thunder, and seven torches of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And behold, sorry, and before the throne was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Remember again last week, they said it looked like sapphire. They said it looked like something from heaven, like a crystal appearance from heaven. Here we see the same vision again. In the middle of the throne and around were four living creatures, full of eyes and from in front and behind. So around the throne of God, there's four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. If you had ever read Revelation 4, you were like, what in the world is this? This is freaky. Because I want you to paint a picture of a creature filled with eyes in the front and filled with eyes in the back. That's freaky. But what does each of these creatures represent? Each of them had a symbol. Each of them surrounded the throne of God. Watch this. In the middle of the throne and around were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a ox. 
I want you to think about what I just told you, the symbol of these 12 tribes, the dominant ones. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature was, had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. They do not rest day or night chanting, Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Elos, Sebao, Asher, Haya, Havoe, Vayo. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, who was and who is and who is to come. Meaning these four living creatures, with each symbol that represented that they look like, were constantly praising God day and night. Remember what I just said. The holies of holies is pointing east because the sun rises from the east and it sets on the west. What does Psalm 113.3 said? That I will praise the day, the name of the Lord day and night. Here we see in the book of Revelation, the four dominant tribes from Exodus, their symbols on these creatures doing what? Praising the name of the Lord day and night. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they throw their crowns down before the throne chanting, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. What does this tell you guys? That the four dominant tribes representing their symbols are the tribes that are surrounding the throne of God. So when modern day church says that the Old Testament is done away with and we see that the New Testament, the New Covenant is also with Israel. We have to be plugged into one of these tribes because these are the tribes that are surrounding the throne of God worshiping him. From day to night. It does not say that the Gentiles are surrounding the throne of God worshiping him. No. It says that these living, these living creatures and each of them has a symbol representing the dominant side of the 12 tribes of Israel back in Exodus. So we see how Revelation and Exodus is tied in. How end time prophecy is tied in to what God spoke at the beginning of the Bible. So how is it that we can say that we can do away with the beginning of the book? That we can do away with the Old Testament that it doesn't apply no more? How can we stand up here and say such things? Or how can we go out there and say such things? When I just showed you in scripture how significant the symbols of these 12 tribes or the dominant ones or the four dominant ones are the same as the symbols on these four creatures that are surrounding the throne of God in the book of Revelation. If this doesn't spark something within you to question what you've been taught, I don't know what will. If this doesn't spark something within you to search the word of God, I don't know what will. If you've been taught for the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it may be, contrary to what I just showed you in Scripture, you might want to search for yourself. 
I'm not telling you that every, everything that you've been taught is wrong. But it wasn't correct either. And if it wasn't correct completely, then it was wrong. It was manipulated in a way to make it suit the person teaching. I'm not, being, I'm not benefiting from nothing here. This is just revelation that I'm giving you for you to go to homework on your own and test the word. As a matter of fact, I want you to go study it. I want you to go test it. I say week in and week out. Test scripture. Test what we're saying from up here. But notice that I will always take you back to scripture. It's not what I say, it's what scripture says. So we see these dominant tribes, the symbol of these dominant tribes, how prophetic they are in the end of times in the book of Revelation. Now, I mean, that was like, <laughs> I was sitting down and studying this and I was like, I, 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 just, I was like, no way, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be. And it was exactly the four symbols of the dominant tribes spoken in the book of Revelation. Amen? Amen. Now let's go back to Exodus. Let's continue. That was the appetizer. <laughs> yeah. Back to Exodus, chapter 25, verse 8 and 9. And it says, have them make a sanctuary. Okay, so now God begins to speak to Moses and tells him, this is what I want them to make for me. It says, have them make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You are to make it all precisely according to everything that I show you. The pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furnishing within, just so you must make it. Again, until now, God has not given him blueprint of anything. God is just basically telling him, go collect an offering and go do this. Moses doesn't question. Moses just takes off, goes to collect an offering, and now tells the people, hey guys, by the way, aside from the offering that we collected, we need to build a tabernacle. So people must have been like, dude, but we have no measurements. What are we building here? He says, don't worry about it. God said he'll give us the blueprint. I've trusted God until now for what everything he's done in my life, and I'm going to continue to trust him. Amen? Amen? That is the mentality, again, that we should be having. God wanted not just a place to dwell within his people, but a holy place with a similar pattern to that which is in heaven. So this tabernacle that God is telling Moses to tell the people of Israel to build, it is very similar in pattern to the tabernacle in heaven. God wanted this. It, wanted, it wasn't just a place for him to come rest. It was a place similar to what there is in heaven. And so God tells Moses, here is what you need to build. Now the word sanctuary means a holy place. So again, it was a holy place that God wanted to dwell. Remember, God is holy. He can't just come and rest upon anything. It has to be holy for him to rest in. So he said, the, uh, sorry, the word sanctuary means a holy place or a set-apart place. The word tabernacle in Hebrew is the word mishkan, which comes from the word to dwell. We're going to see now that God didn't fully sat on the tabernacle. He didn't fully rest on this tabernacle because there was still something, I don't want to say wrong with it, but there was still something that was unholy. We'll talk about that in a minute. The word tabernacle, again, in Hebrew is the word mishkan, it's M-I-S-K-A-N, which comes from the word to dwell, which is sakan, S-A-K-A-N, and is the place where God wanted to dwell with his people. 
So God tells Moses, build me this tabernacle, build me this sanctuary. This is the place where I'm coming to dwell while you guys are in the midst of the wilderness. This is my presence. This is where my presence will be. And I'm going to show you, as well as everybody that's around you, who I am. So you guys can trust me. And whenever you need something, you come to me. Also, this is where the priest will come to the holies of holies, the high priest, and give offering on a yearly basis. So wherever they went, the tabernacle went. Wherever the tabernacle went, the presence of God went. Again, they were never alone. You are never alone. Wherever you go, the presence of God goes. Why? And I'll show you in a little bit why I say that. Now again, something I want to point out is that these instructions were given to Moses, like I said a little while ago, when he was in the presence at the top of Mount Sinai. So when Moses is taken up all the way to the top of Mount Sinai, and he's up there in this cloud for 40 days and 40 nights, God is speaking to him. And God is revealing things to him. And God is giving him instructions. And God is telling him things. What to do, what not to do. This is what I need you to do. And what, is the, what, what does Moses do? Everything that God is instructing, Moses is running to. Moses is speaking. Moses is directing. Why do I point this out? Because in order for you to understand that when we say God doesn't speak to me or God don't hear God, whatever, it's because you're not spending time in the what? In the presence of God. You want God to speak to you? Spend time in his presence. You want God to reveal to you? Spend time in his presence. You want God to give you assignments? Spend time in his presence. Notice when all this took place, when Moses was in the presence of God. Not at the bottom, not at the middle, but at the mountain top. And I, I need you to understand that these three stages in the mountain represent each stage within our lives. The base of the mountains is when we come, that we surrender our lives to God. But we're still eh, kind of iffy about it. Do I do? Do I do not? When we climb up to the middle of the mountain, it's because we've gone through a little bit with God and we've seen how God has moved in our lives. So we're trusting a little bit more. But that mountaintop is only reserved for those that are completely sold out for God. I'm going to speak to you, says the Lord, but I need you to fully trust me. This is where my presence is, at the top. You guys know Mount Everest? Everybody that's like on, on people's bucket list to climb, and there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that have passed away from trying to climb Mount Everest. Well, guess what? It is when they get to the top that they can say, we have climbed Mount Everest. Otherwise, they can't say from the bottom of the mountain, oh, yeah, I'm on Mount Everest. Nobody cares. You're at the middle of the mountain. I'm about 2,000 feet up, whatever it is. Hey, guys, we're halfway through Mount Everest. Nobody cares. People only care when you're at the top. When you get there, then you can boast about what you have accomplished. Meanwhile, you haven't done anything. Well, God is not about boasting, but God is about trusting. He says, I don't want you to stay at the bottom. I don't want you to stay at the middle. I need you to come to the top with me. Because when you come to the top, it means that you're completely sold out for me, that you completely trust me, and therefore that's when I'm going to speak to you. That's when I'm going to trust you to do my job here on earth. And that's when I will give you assignments. 
And I don't know about you, but I want God to give me assignments. That shows me that God trusts me and that tells me that I'm doing the right thing. That I'm completely sold out for God because I've spent time in his presence. I spent time in his word. And so therefore, I know that God can trust me with what, with what he's given me. That's who Moses was. Moses was at the top. Moses was completely sold out for God. And so therefore, God saw, God knew, God gave. Hmm. It's not you here this morning. Now, we're going to read a large portion of scripture, and I'll begin to close with this, because we're going to read from verse 10 all the way to verse 30. And I'll actually end in verse 30 this morning. I'm going to leave the last 10 verses of this chapter for next week, because the last 10 verses are very powerful, and it speaks in the menorah. I'll leave that for next week. But I do want to cover the next 20 verses, so we're going to read... Bear with me. We're going to read from verse 10 all the way down to verse 30. Amen? Amen. And then we'll break it down and we'll begin to close with that. Verse 10 says, you guys with me? Amen. Are you guys learning something this morning? Amen. Because this, this is a chapter that is going to bring up a lot of questions. And this is a chapter that should show you where to go for the answers. Amen? Verse 10 says, now they are to make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits in length, one and a half cubits wide, and, and a cubit and a half high. You are to overlay it with pure gold. Notice the items that are being used in this tabernacle. Okay? I mean, sorry, in the ark. Acacia wood. Remember what acacia wood represented, and remember what gold represented. And we'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit again. Inside and out, and make a crown of gold around it. You are to cast four rings of gold for it and place them in its four feet. Two rings will be on one side and two rings on the other side. Also make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You are to put the poles into the rings of the sides of the ark in order to carry the ark. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark and not be taken from it. In other words, the ark was supposed to be built. It was supposed to be built of gold, solid gold. And on the side, there were supposed to be rings of acacia wood and gold. And through these rings, there were supposed to be these long poles of acacia wood with gold. And that's how you would carry the ark. The ark was not to be touched. As a matter of fact, when you read later on in scripture, it says that the ark seemed to be tilting over and one of the ones that was carrying the ark went to touch the ark from falling and immediately God killed him. It was such a holy place for God because of the things that were inside the ark and where was the presence of God that would rest over the ark that it was not to be touched. Why? Because we are sinful and holiness and sin do not combine. No matter how holy you may think you are, you're still sinful before the presence of God. And so when this person went to hold the ark, instantly got killed. Plus, the ark never fell. God would not let his dwelling place go to pieces. He holds it with his presence. Even if the ark was tilting over, the presence of God being that powerful would have put it right back. Now, I'm not saying that the guy was wrong. His first instincts was obviously to hold it. 
but he should have known better the instructions that were given him previously, that it was never to be touched. Amen? Amen. Now the poison to remain in the rings of the ark and not to be taken from it. You are to put the testimony which I will give you into the ark. Then you are to make an atonement cover, a pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one cubit and a half wide. Also make two cherubims of gold from hammered wood at the two ends of the atonement cover. Make one cherub at the end and one cherub at the other end of one piece with the atonement cover. You are to make the cherubims at its two ends. In other words, they were to face each other. The cherubims are to spread out their wings above, shielding the atonement cover with their wings. Okay, so here we see the ark, then this atonement cover, which is also known as the mercy seat of God, on top, and these two cherubims were to face each other, and their wings were to kind of be placed in a, in a sense as they were covering something, as they were protecting something, right? It says, make one cherub to the end of the other, uh, verse 20. The, cherub, the cherubim are to spread out their wings above, shielding the atonement cover with their wings, each facing its companion. So they were to face each other. The faces of the cherubims are to be turned toward the atonement cover. You are to put the atonement cover on top of the ark, and inside the ark you will put the testimony that I will give you. I will meet with you there. Listen to verse 22. I will meet with you there. I will speak with you from above the atonement cover, from between the two cherubims that are on the ark of the testimony, about all that I will command you for Bene Israel, for the children of Israel. Verse 23 says, You will make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, one cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. You are to overlay it in pure gold and make a crown of gold around it. Make a border a single hand width wide around it and a golden crown for the border all around. Also make four gold rings for it and put the rings in the four corners that are on its feet, on its four feet. The rings are to be closed to the borders as holders for the poles to carry the table. You are to make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold so that the table may be carried with them. You are also to make the dishes, pans, jars, and bowls to pour drink offerings from pure gold. Always set the bread of the presence on the table before me. Always set the bread of the presence on the table before me. So in these 20 verses here, we see a description of the Ark of the Covenant. Not only the Ark, but the cover, which is known as the mercy seat. We see that its main materials are what? Acacia wood and gold. What did I tell you those two items represented earlier? Well, if you remember, gold meant wealth, and acacia wood meant either perseverance or integrity. Now, the wealth that I'm speaking about, it's not material. The wealth that you're, it's that I'm speaking about is spiritual wealth. Mm -hmm. Why do I say that? Now, I'm not saying that physical or, or material wealth cannot come along. Of course it can. 
God loves to bless us according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But aside from that, the wealth that I'm representing is because on top of this ark, on top of this mercy seat, was none other than the presence of God himself. And so whenever the presence was there, what happened? What did Moses gain? Spiritual wealth. Scripture. That's what God shared with Moses when he was at the mountaintop. He didn't tell Moses, here's 20 bucks. No. He told Moses, this is what you're going to do because these 14 items represent what? Salvation and deliverance. These 14 items have a, a symbolic meaning, which is exactly who I am and what I just finished doing. So Moses gained spiritual wealth. He gained knowledge of who God was. He gained knowledge of what God had done, and he gained knowledge of what God was doing. Now, among that, of course, as we've learned before in the book of Exodus, what did the Israelites leave with Egypt? With everything. I mean, they robbed those people blind. God told them, go to the Egyptians, knock on their doors, and they will give you everything that they have. So they didn't leave Egypt empty-handed. Remember that? I told you, they would come in broke, but they're going to come out very wealthy. So when you begin to think, where did they get all these items from? That's where they got them from. Because they were in the midst of the wilderness. All of a sudden, you think they're going to just... Gold is just going to appear and silver and bronze and all these other things? No. They had those items from when they came out of Egypt. So they had these items. So when God is telling, is telling the Israelites to build these things, there were specific instructions. Why? Because God had provided ahead of time, guys. God will always provide ahead of times whenever he sends you on an assignment or to do something. He will make the way. Remember, our today is God's yesterday. So he's already been through here. He's already made a way through here. He knows what you're going to do today. He already opened the path for you. He's a, whatever he's going to place in your heart to do today, he already saw it. He already accomplished it, and he already built it, and he's equipped you and provided for you to be able to do it. He knew what he was going to be asking of the Israelites. He knew it. So he had provided for them way before. I mean, they've been in the, in the wilderness for some time. And here's God Asking the Israelites, I'm sure some of them look like, we're going to get these things. Oh, that's right. we got a truckload of it. So we see the description of the Ark of the Covenant. It also talks about the lid. Please don't miss this. Which even though it goes on top of the Ark to seal what's inside the Ark, is described as a separate item. First, the ark is described. The box, okay, that's the description first that is spoken about in scripture. Then it speaks about the lid, which I told you, remember, that lid is called the mercy seat. So even though there's two items specifically talked about separately, they go together. That lid goes on top of the ark. Why? Because it seals what, what? What God's testimony that he's about to give Moses. Remember, I said it twice there. He says, this 
lid, this mercy seat will seal the testimony that I'm about to give you, Moses. And I need you to build it this way. This is what I need you to put in there. I mean, this is the way I need you to, uh, to, to build it. So again, the mercy seat, the lid covers the ark. Now, the word lid in Hebrew is the word kaporet. K-A-P-P-O-R-E-T, kaporet, which means place of atonement. Look how precise God is again. Lid in Hebrew is the word kaporet, which means place of atonement. What did I tell you the lid was? The mercy seat of God. Which is exactly where God said he will meet and speak to Moses. Go to verse 22. We read it. That's why I told you to pay attention. Look what verse 22 says. I will meet with you there. It's talking about the mercy seat. This is where I will meet with you. And this is where I will speak to you. From the mercy seat. This is what you're going to come and find my presence. Here on top of this mercy seat. Now the question many of us may have again is, how did all these people get all these materials? And again, they got them from Egypt. They left very, very wealthy. As a matter of fact, in today's, today's day and age, the amount of money that that ark will cost is about $13 million. $13 million to build that ark. Now you say, well, that's a lot of money. To God, that's nothing. That's a drop in the bank. Why? Because he's owner of all the gold and all the silver. That's like 10 bucks to you. That's what it means to God, this $13 million. So what he was asking from his people wasn't nothing that they couldn't, that they didn't have, in other words. Wasn't nothing that was beyond what they could acquire or beyond what they had at that current time. It was well within their means. But something that expensive to God still wasn't a place where he would rest upon. Notice what I just said. Even an item that expensive even an item that was spoken by him to build, it was not built by him. It was built by who? Men. Go back to verse 22 again. Verse 22 says, I will meet with you there. I will speak with you from above the atonement cover. In other words, he, his presence did not rest on the cover. His presence was not on the cover, it was above the cover. So what the angels were doing, were, were they were shielding the presence of God, in other words, the cherubims, they were, they were protecting or shielding the presence of God which was over the, the, the ark on top of the mercy seat, they were shielding that presence. But the presence never actually rested on the ark. It never actually rested on the mercy seat. It was above it. Why? Because again, it was built by man, so therefore it was not holy enough for God himself to rest upon it. 
man had built it with his own hands. And so therefore the sinful man was not holy enough for God's holy presence to rest on top of it. Nowadays, God's tabernacle, it's not the church building. God's tabernacle is not the church building. As some churches are called out, you know, you go out there and you see churches called the tabernacle of this and the tabernacle of that. The church building is not the tabernacle of God. It's not God's dwelling place here on earth. It's not. That's wrong. We as believers are God's spirit's dwelling place. Amen. Us. We are God's spirit dwelling place. We are God's tabernacles. That's why I mentioned earlier, wherever we go, the spirit of God goes. So you are never found alone. Why? Because once we accept Yeshua as our Lord and Savior, it says what? That now the spirit of God dwells within us. The Spirit of God may dwell here while we're congregating, but this is just a building. This is not God's tabernacle. We are that tabernacle. That's why we can rest assured that we're never alone. How do we know this? Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Hebrews 3, verse 1 through 6. Look what it says. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partners in a heavenly calling, take notice of Joshua, the emissary and Kohen Gadol, high priest. We affirm, he was faithful to the one who appointed him in his house. So we see that Joshua was sent by, obviously, God. As was Moses also. For he has been considered worthy of more glory than Moses. Even as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Verse 4. For every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Okay? Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all houses is God. What does that mean? We. If you didn't catch that. We are, the build, we are the builders, but God is the one that built all these houses. We are those houses. Now Moses surely was faithful in all God's house as a servant for a witness of things to be spoken later. But Messiah as son and over God's house, and we are his house. So this is just the building where we gather. We are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. We are God's tabernacle nowadays. 
We don't need a sacrifice because Yeshua was our sacrifice. He was our atonement. So therefore, physical sacrifice is not needed anymore. The Spirit of God now dwells, which is Yeshua himself, now dwells within us. So therefore, sacrifice and dwelling are both in one. Inside the tabernacle, which is us. So we see here in Scripture in, verse, in um, Hebrews 3, verse... Um, Verse 6, where it says, But Messiah's sons in over God's house, as we are his house, if we, if we hold firm to our bonus and what we are proud to hope. Okay. Mm -hmm. yes. And I'll end with this. Notice how many times Acacia Wood was mentioned. Notice it's one of the most items that technically they did not leave most likely with Egypt, according to, to, um, to scholars. This is the one item they did not leave with from Egypt. But this was the one item that was abundant in the wilderness. How ironic is that? God took them out of slavery, delivered them, made acacia wood part of the 14 items. Why? Because as they came out, they were delivered, and they now consider themselves people of God or believers or people of faith. What did Acacia would represent? Integrity, perseverance. The, the one thing that they lacked in Egypt was the one thing that was abundant in the wilderness. So they said, God, where are you taking me? I'm taking you to a place where you're going to persevere and be people not only of faith, but people of integrity. Because of the representation of the abundance of acacia wood that was around them in the midst of the wilderness. You say, why is God taking these people to the midst of the wilderness? Why didn't he just take them straight to the promised land? Well, first of all, there was a process. And second one, that process was significant. There were stages. Just as there were stages in the Mount of Sinai, there were stages through their travels. There are stages in our lives. So what do I want you to take with you from this morning? That not only are we called people of faith, but we need to call, be, called, be known as people of integrity. What does that mean? That what you say is who you are. Yes. Why? Because you are the tabernacle of God. Wherever you go, you represent the presence of God. So if we go out there and we give a false testimony of something, how can we then ask somebody to come and gather with us inside the building so they can learn something new? Or they can see something different? If we are behaving the same way the world behaves, what kind of tabernacle are we? Is it one that's falling apart? Is it one that is whole, complete? Because all these items that God spoke about in Exodus 25 abide in it, spiritually speaking. So again, God wants you to be known not only as people of faith, but as people of now I know there's 10 more verses in chapter 25 in the book of Exodus, but I will leave that for next week.
it speaks about the menorah and there's beautiful spiritual meaning to the menorah which we'll learn next week amen amen let's go ahead and stand please so we can pray